The Bible says this in verse number 1. Then 14 years after I went up, Paul says, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of the reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of the false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these, who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me, God accepteth no man's person, for they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of, the of uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he thought, he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen and they into the circumcision, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which also I was forward to do. We're going to preach from these past, this passage this morning, an important message, and I believe the Lord's got something special for us today. And so as we pray this morning, why don't you pray and ask the Lord to speak to your heart today. And uh, as you do that, I'll pray and ask the Lord to speak through me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to open your word for a few moments. We thank you, God, that you were Regardless of situations, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what's going on in life, you are good. And God, we thank you and we praise you for that. And God, we've sang praises to you this morning. We've done our best to glorify you through our service already. And now, God, we turn our attention to the most important part, the lifting up of your word. God, it is the hero of, of the day. It's the hero of the story. Jesus Christ, it's all about him. And so, Father, as we lift him up, as we... Honor him today, and as we dive into the scriptures, I pray, God, that, that you would be magnified, that you would be glorified, and God, that everything that's said and done, Lord, would please you. Help me, God. You know I need you this morning. I've already asked it, but God, I pray that you'd help me to say only what you want me to say, and God, I pray that it would be clear, and Lord, that what's said would help someone in this room this morning. May your Holy Spirit where I lacked so much. Thank you, God, for this time. Bless this opportunity that you've given us to open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Robert Hansen was born in 1944 in Chicago, Illinois. On January the 12th, 1976, Hansen joined the FBI and was quickly moved to New York and into the counterintelligence department where he was assigned the task of compiling information of Soviet intelligence. But a desire to obtain more money became overwhelming to Hansen. And in 1979, he approached the Soviet main intelligence and offered his services to them. Over the next 22 years, he sold and traded information with the Soviet Union that foiled many American plans and cost the lives of numerous American agents and double agents. On two separate occasions, he was reported on suspicion of espionage once by his own brother-in-law, who was also an FBI agent. But both times, the accusations were dismissed. Finally, 
An ex-KGB agent was paid $7 million to turn over evidence of, of a suspected mole in the FBI. And while Hansen's name was never mentioned, they recognized his voice and were able to match a set of fingerprints to his. On February the 18th, 2001, Hansen drove to Virginia's Foxstone Park. He placed a white piece of tape on a park sign, which was a signal to his Russian contacts that there was information at the drop site. He then followed his usual routine, taking a package consisting of a sealed garbage bag of classified material and taping it to the bottom side of the wooden footbridge over a creek. When the FBI agents observed this incriminating act, they rushed to arrest Hansen. Upon his arrest... He asked the FBI agents, what took you so long? (laughs) He was given 15 life sentences for his espionage and remained in prison until his death earlier this year in 2023. To this day, Robert Hansen is recognized as the most damaging and destructive spy in the history of the FBI. And all that destruction took place from within America's borders within the FBI. Paul and Barnabas were serving the Lord at Antioch. They were preaching the gospel. They were seeing people saved. They were seeing God work. And the gospel go forward. But just like the FBI found that Robert Hans, about Robert Hansen, often the most damaging enemies can come from within. Paul describes what took place in Galatians chapter number 2, verse number 4. He says, and that because of some false brethren unawares brought in, who, listen, came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. This event that Paul was writing about is further recorded over in Acts chapter number 15. We'll look at it in just a few moments. Uh, We we don't know how, how long these spies had infiltrated the church at Antioch. It would seem that the surveillance of Paul and Barnabas was far better than that of the FBI's. Because in verse number 5, the Bible says that they didn't give, give, give place by subjection. No, not for an hour. They didn't give any time to these false brethren that were coming in. These spies that were coming in to destroy the message of the gospel. We find the message that these these people were preaching, these quote-unquote false brothers, these spies were speaking to those believers there at at Antioch. In chapter number 15 of verse number 1 in Acts, the Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. What were they saying? They were saying, listen, unless you do these things, unless you do these, these religious rituals, you cannot be saved. Just as we've seen throughout the book of Galatians that we've studied so far, the great battle that was being fought by Paul and Barnabas was that of adding works to salvation. The creating of religion rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ. It was the battle Paul faced throughout his ministry. We find later on in Acts chapter number 20, Paul dealt with this very thing. He said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. 
Also, of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw you away, uh, draw away disciples after them. He said, listen, they're going to come in and they're going to try to teach you false doctrine. They're going to try to destroy you. Beware, he says. Upon their discovery of these false teachers and preachers, Paul and Barnabas recognized that they had a problem. You see, at this point in time, when this event took place, Paul was still fairly new on the scene. Most of us in this room, when we hear of the Apostle Paul, we think of the great hero of the faith that he is. And we think about the the missionary journeys that that he took, the three missionary journeys in the then-no world. We think about in Colossians on two separate occasions in chapter number 1, that he preached the gospel, he says, to every creature, that he preached the gospel to every person, that that, that Paul traveled around and had a profound impact preaching the gospel. But when this was written... Nobody knew who Paul was. Paul was a nobody. His influence on the church was still fairly fairly small. We know based upon the timeline that Paul gave last that we gave last week that that for three years he had spent in Arabia and Damascus, and now beginning in chapter number 2, that he stated that there were 14 years following that, so at least 17 years had passed at this point when these events took place. But up until now, Paul has not written any books. In fact, the book of Galatians is recognized as the very first book that the Apostle Paul penned. No one really knew who he was. The bulk of his ministry was still in front of him. I'm thankful that God loves to take no names from nowhere and do great things with them. In fact, it's one of his requirements. In James 4.10, he says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and then he shall lift you up. See, when a person recognizes their lack of ability without Christ, it's then that God can demonstrate just how much He can do through Christ in them. And that's exactly where Paul and Barnabas found themselves. No names from nowhere, 17 years into it, having accomplished just a little for God by this point in time. No doubt, as we talked about last week, probably thinking, I thought I'd be further along at this point than what I am. With Paul's limited influence and reputation, he and Barnabas, and a young Gentile convert named Titus, determined that their best option was to go to someone with more more notoriety, more influence than themselves. Someone that, as Paul says, had a reputation. So we find there in Galatians chapter number 2, in verses 1 and 2, that 14 years after, that they went up to, to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with them also. And he says, I went up by revelation. He says, listen, I, I went up with the truth that had been revealed to me, the gospel that had been given to me. We're not going to rehash the whole message from last week. But he was saying, listen, this message that I got, it wasn't from man, it was from God. It was revealed to me to, from, from God. This isn't some man-made uh, religion that some overzealous person told me. No, this is from the Lord. And he says, and commuted unto, communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But he says, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run 
in vain. Those guys that were of reputation, they were familiar. They were none other than Peter, James, and John. It doesn't get much bigger than those guys. <laughs> Talk about, I mean, these guys were the top. These guys were the, were the big names. I mean, when you thought about Christianity at this point in time, I mean, Peter, James, and John. This was the Peter who walked on the water with Christ. This was Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. Peter, James, the half-brother of Jesus. I mean, he grew up with him. And now he pastored the largest Christian church in the world. A church that had a congregation of upwards of 20,000 or 30,000 people. James and John. John, who we know as the Beloved. The one by inspiration of God wrote in his book that he was recognized as the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) That's how he thought of himself. That's how God told him to write it. These three men and Paul would go on to compose 21, at least 21 of the 27 New Testament books that we have. These were the big dogs. Paul says, We went privately to them, lest we had run or would continue running in vain. Now some have taught that this was the moment that Paul questioned his message on the gospel. you imagine 17 years of preaching the gospel and now here he is, he's thinking, I just don't know if I'm telling the right things. I just don't know. No, 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 that's not what was happening, okay? Paul was not having a crisis at this moment. No, Paul knew his message was true. He'd spent 17 years preaching it. What Paul was concerned with was that without the backing of these three pillars, his message wouldn't have the impact that it should. I guess we could say it this way. Peter, James, and John, they were the final authority on the gospel. Can I remind you this morning that when you think that your message isn't having an impact when you think that the, the, the words that maybe you're sharing from the Word of God, maybe you're sharing with somebody at Thanksgiving or at Christmas, or you're trying to give the gospel, and you don't think it's having an impact, can I remind you, we have a final authority? You see, these first century leaders didn't have the privilege that we have. Paul and Barnabas, Peter, James and John, they didn't have the Bible like we have it today. People were relying on the eyewitness testimony of these leaders. They were depending on the message being preached by these apostles. They were the final authority on the matter. And God gave them the ability to do incredible things to prove their message. Over in Mark chapter number 16, the Bible tells us in verse number 17, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, shall speak in new tongues, shall take up serpents, shall drink any deadly thing, and it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. recover. Can you imagine what it was like being a first century apostle? I mean, just, just think about this with me, okay? They didn't have this. They didn't have this. They didn't have the Bible like we have it today. So the apostles would stand up, and they would preach a message about a man who was an all-powerful God. 
that came to this earth in flesh and was killed by finite man on a cross. But then he rose again three days later so that they could have eternal life. And then they would say, well, can we go meet him? And Peter, James, and John would say, well, no, because you see, after he rose again, he, uh, one day he flew up in the sky. And about the time that they turned to walk away and say, these guys are nuts, okay? About that moment, Peter, James, and John would say, hold on just a second. Wait, 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 wait. And they'd perform a miracle to prove that they had the power of God in their message. To prove that what their message that they were delivering, that they were saying, was true. They'd pick up a deadly snake. They'd drink cyanide. Or they'd heal someone. Not for their glory, but to prove that the message that they had preached was true. That gave them the power to be the final authority. Now friend, I am thankful I am not a first century apostle. Because there won't be any deadly snakes handled by me today. All right? And many of you are probably grateful for that as well. All right? I'm not going to be drinking any deadly poisons this morning. Why? Because I'm not the final authority. You don't have to take my word for it. Why? Because we have a final authority this book. This book contains all the evidence. This book contains all the proofs that we need. This book that was written by at least 40 different authors over a period of over 1,600 years that covers a historical period of at least 4,000 years, maybe more than 6,000 years, and it all agrees perfectly together, story after story from different perspectives by different people, uncovered pieces at a time, and yet all agree with the things that took place, it's completely impossible. Or, it's a proof that the most perfect story ever told about the most perfect Savior that ever lived is contained in the most perfect book that we could ever hold in our hands. It's the final authority. It's the message that must be proclaimed. Friend, each week I have the privilege of standing up here and getting to preach the gospel, get to preach the word of God. And listen, each week as I do that, I I take this so seriously. And I focus so hard because my goal is to have a message that's centered in the Bible and the scriptures and that's saturated with the word of God. Because you may not like my delivery. Some of you may be sitting here and say, I, listen, I have, had so, I have had so many people tell me that I talk too fast, okay? I have had so many people, and I've tried to slow down a little bit, but I know I still do, okay? And uh, sometimes I get really excited and I get going real fast. In fact, I had somebody call me up one time and said, hey, would you come and be an auctioneer for us at this, this thing? And I'm like, what in the world? Like, no. <laughs> you may not like the way that I, that I talk. You may say, I don't like the way you pronounce that word. I don't like the illustration that he give. You may not like my lack of alliteration because I'm terrible at alliterating. At the end of the day, you may not agree with everything about me or what I say, but I hope that the messages are so filled with the Word of God that to disagree with the main point of the message would be to disagree with God and His Word because He is the final authority. But Paul didn't have this book. So he needed and wanted the approval of his message from the pillars of that first century church. 
Now listen, their approval didn't make the gospel true. But their approval did give further proof of the message Paul had preached as being true. That's what Paul was saying in verses 6 through 8. Look there, the Bible says, But of these who seem to be somewhat, he said, listen, these guys, they're the big shots. Whatsoever they were, make it, it doesn't matter to me. God doesn't accept any man's person. That's what he says. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference, they added nothing to me. He said, listen, they couldn't add anything to my message. That's, that's not why I was going to them. That's what he's saying there. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision was committed unto me, he says, the, the message that I was taking the gospel to the heathen, to the Greeks, to, to the people that weren't the Jews, as the gospel of the circumcision that was to the Jews was, was unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter, the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. He says, you cannot, they, they could not add anything to the gospel that Paul was preaching. The message he was preaching was the same message that Peter, James, and John was preaching. God had just called them to different people in different places. That's what he was saying there. And when those pillars heard the message from Paul, they gave their stamp of approval. Over in Acts chapter number 15, we find their response to Paul coming and sharing with them that, listen, hey, these guys have come down and they've said that, listen, we've got to start adding works to it and there's this confusion that's going on. And what I really need from you guys is, hey, would you just, just approve that what I'm saying, that it is the truth. You guys are like the, the final authority on this. Can you guys just, just solidify that what I'm saying, that it is the truth? And this was their response in Acts chapter number 15. When there had been much disputing, I love this. I mean, they're fighting amongst themselves. The guy that always did, Peter stood up. <laughs> I mean, Peter rises up. Peter, the one that, I mean, when, when something was going on, Peter couldn't sit still. He had to stand up. He had to be the one. That was what he did. Peter rose up and he says to them, Men and brethren, hey, let me have your attention. You know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe? And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith? He says, listen, you know, remember Peter had that vision with the, the tablecloth that came down, and all the different animals that were on it, and he said, oh, that's unclean. God said, no, it's what I've deemed clean. You, and, and what was it? He said, listen, this, this is the interpretation that now you're supposed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what he's saying here. He says, put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. Then all the multitude kept silence, gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. You know what they did? They looked and said, listen, some of you are adding works to the gospel. And Peter said, that is a bondage, a weight, that not only could none of the people that lived before us bear, but neither could you. So he said, stop it. Knock it off. You know that's not the truth. The gospel's for everyone, and it's free. It's a gift. Now listen to what these guys have to say. That's what he said. I love it. Paul's message and authority had been verified by the final authorities. In Galatians 2, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, 
And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave unto me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen, they into the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Peter, James, and John did something that would be good for all Christians to think about and understand. They encouraged Paul and Barnabas to continue. Did you know that people get discouraged? I don't know if you knew that or not. Did you know that preachers get discouraged? Scarcely do we know the weight that someone else is carrying. We walk in every week here with smiles on our faces, dressed up in the prettiest thing that we can put on. If you're a guy, the handsomest thing. While everything may look good on the outside, nobody knows the burden that's being carried on the inside. The weight that is being borne. Let me ask you, when's the last time that you came alongside someone and encouraged someone in the Lord? I'm thankful for some times here recently where some people have reached out to me and encouraged me, and they didn't even know it, but it was at exactly the moment that I needed it. A text message that just said, hey, I'm praying for you. And it helped me so much. Just a couple weeks ago, Isaac, I criticize him all as much as I can, but he's not in here so I can say nice things about him now. Isaac sent me a text message on a Monday and said, hey, I just noticed a couple things on Sunday. We'll make sure you're doing okay. I said, Isaac, you had no idea, but this is what's going on. Some things are going on. This is happening. He said, well, I'm going to be praying for you. Do you know what that meant to me? More than you'll ever know. When's the last time you encouraged somebody? The devil's darts are flying And he would like nothing more than to get you and I discouraged and ineffective. And you don't know what a simple encouraging word could do for someone. We have no idea what Peter, James, and John reaching that right hand of fellowship and saying, listen, you guys are doing a good job. You guys are doing a good work. Paul and Barnabas, keep on going. We're behind you. We're for you. It encouraged him. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, verse number 11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. As a kid, I read that and I thought, I don't have any idea what that means. I just, it means a good thing. It's a sweet thing. Paul reminds the Galatian believers, we'll eventually get to it, but over in Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 2, he says this, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've got enough people that are real good at tearing each other down. We could use a few more that will just choose to encourage others. That will extend the right hand of fellowship and encourage someone to continue on for the Lord because the Lord knows we all need somebody to come alongside us and encourage us. I hope we'll choose to be those people. Now, before we wrap up today, I want to look at one final thing. And I think it's a critical point that we need to see today. Because if we miss this, I believe we miss one of the most important parts of these verses that Paul has just recorded. 
Because the question can be asked, Paul, why are you so passionate about this matter of ensuring that the true gospel is clear? Why are you so passionate about ensuring your message is validated by these final authorities? Why, Paul? And I believe the answer is found there in the second part of verse number 5. Those spies had come in trying to destroy the gospel. He says, I didn't give place to them, not for an hour, but listen, this is why. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Why? He did it because the continuance of the gospel is a serious thing. It's a serious thing. Paul was adamant. He wanted the true gospel to continue with those he had preached it to. He wanted them to have the pure, unadulterated gospel without the addition of any man's religion so that they could pass on that gospel to someone else. So he said, watch out for those spies trying to corrupt the true gospel. Watch out for the false teachers trying to add things to the true gospel and add works to the true gospel and put a bondage on you that you do not need to carry. Don't give place unto them even for a moment. The continuance of the gospel is is far too important. Now friend, let me ask you this this morning. If the continuance of the gospel was dependent on you, would this be the end of the gospel? Think about that. If it was dependent on you, would this be the end of the gospel? If it was dependent on you, would it become corrupted? Because you do not know it. The most important message in all of existence. And you don't know it. 1 Peter 3 tells us this simply, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meek and fear. You say, Kyle, do I need to know all the answers of everything? I sure hope not, because I don't. (laughs) But you know what we should know? The gospel. If it's the most important message, why don't we know it? If it was up to you, would the gospel end? Maybe because you have a distorted view of it. You think you need to do something to gain God's favor. Yeah, I know God saved me, but man, I'm just, I just got to keep doing good because oh, I, just, I just need to gain the love of God. It's not how it works. At your salvation, you get all of God's love, all of His grace, all of His mercy, every ounce of it. You cannot get more. And listen, you cannot get less. There is nothing you could ever do to ever have any less or any more of it. Romans chapter number 8 tells us this in verse 38, I am persuaded, Paul writes, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you missed what he was trying to get the point across there, what he was saying is there's nothing, there's nothing that can stop God's love that He has given to you. You got all of it. 
and you can never get any less. If it was dependent on you, would it just never be spread? Who have you talked to recently about the gospel? Can you think of someone that you're praying about trying to give the gospel to? The sad reality is for most Christians and most churches, if the continuance of the gospel were dependent on them, this would be the end. And I hope that shakes you and breaks you to your core. I hope it wakes us up. That the reality that you are the Lord's messenger and trusted with the greatest message ever given is not a light responsibility. That you, my friend, are an ambassador for Christ. And it's your job to take the gospel into this world. Is it the job of this preacher? Absolutely it is my job. But not because I'm a preacher. Because I'm a Christian. And it's the job of each person in this room to take the gospel to all this world. Why? Not because you're a preacher, but because you're a Christian. Acts 1.8 says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When does that happen? When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, you don't need the approval of some preacher. You don't need the backing of some man. You have the final authority right here. So take it to this lost and dying world. Take it to your family. Take it to your children. So that they can teach their children someday. Sow the seeds of the gospel every chance that you get. Don't waver on the message of the true gospel. It's far too important. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? And for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, God has a purpose, and He wants to use you, and He wants to use His gospel through you. Friend, the devil wants to destroy the message of the true gospel. He wants to add things to it through the false teachers. He wants to, uh, to take away from it through the spies that he puts in it. He wants to, do, to take away from the power and, and the ability for us to go out through discouragement and even fear. But this message matters far too much. And God will accomplish the desires that He has with this word. Friend, the question is, will you be a part of it? Will you be a part of it? Will you join in the greatest work with Paul? The continuance of the gospel. A few years ago, there was a guy here in Whitehall. I did some cabinet work for him and things. and He told me he had one of those ancestry subscriptions where you go back and look at all the ancestry stuff and whatnot. And he said, hey, he said, if you can get me some of your family information, he said, I'll, I'll, I'll do some searching for you and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. So I gave him all the information that I have. And it was amazing. A couple of months later, he came back to me. And on my mother's side, he was able to trace it all the way back to the 1400s. Super cool. On my dad's side, he, he just, we discovered that I had a relative of my grandma's that came across on the Mayflower. That's pretty neat. It was interesting to to study your family's heritage. To look back and to see some of the different names and see how things change and stuff like that. Do you realize that 
all of our families had the truth at some point. We all came from Adam and Eve. We all came from Noah. But somewhere down the line, the truth was probably lost. But then at some point, maybe your parents, your grandparents, maybe in your own life, the truth was found again. What a wonderful thing. The most important question this morning is not when it was lost, but it's what will you do with the truth of the gospel that's been given to you now? Will it end with you? Friend, it's the most important question in the world. What, what have you done with it yourself? Have you received it in your own life? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. That also is passed down to us, by the way. Every one of us, we've all come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Our iniquities, the Bible tells us, they're like, they've separated us from God. But God commendeth His love toward us, the Bible says in Romans 5.8. He showed it, He demonstrated it to us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. You see, the Bible tells us this, that the wage of our sin, the works that we've done, the payment that we deserve for the works that we've committed is death. But not just of this physical body, but eternal separation from God. The place the Bible calls the lake of fire. And the reality is nobody wants to go there. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ made a way because we couldn't do it on our own. He died for us. He was the perfect sacrifice for us. The satisfactory payment to the Father. He gives us the gift of God that's eternal life that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. How do you receive that gift? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you, but listen, this is what makes all the difference, that He rose again from the grave. and He's alive today. That's what makes His death different than any others. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 10. Friend, this morning in verse number 13 of chapter number 10, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever made that decision this morning? Because that's the most important decision that you could ever make in your life. Hey, before you put the mask on somebody else, you've got to put it on yourself. Get it settled in your own life. Now, if you've got it, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then what are you going to do with it? Are you going to be the one that keeps it to yourself, that tells nobody about it? Will the gospel die with you? Will there be a lineage of family that follows you that doesn't know the true gospel because it ended with your life? Every person in this room, you have a responsibility this morning that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So dads, I challenge you. 
don't let the truth of the gospel end with you. Moms, I challenge you. Don't let the truth of the gospel end with you. Grandparents with those precious grandbabies, I challenge you. Don't let that truth of the gospel end with you. And teens and any kids that we have in this room, I challenge you. Don't let the truth of the gospel end with your life. May you fulfill your responsibility to spread this glorious gospel and see it continue with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time you've given us to open your word for a few moments this morning. I thank you, God, for what we have in the scriptures, Lord, the truth of the gospel. It's so powerful, Lord. It's life-changing. And God, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that hasn't received it, I pray they'd receive it today. God, for the ones that have received it, I pray, Lord, that we'd examine our life and ask that question, what are we doing with it? And God, may it not die with us, but may we pass it on to others that need to hear the greatest message ever told. This morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I hope that you heard from the Lord this morning the message that God had for us. We have the final authority. Now, what are you doing with it? Who are you sharing it with? This morning, I hope that you'll purpose to be an ambassador for Christ like He calls you to. To be one that spreads the truth of the gospel to ensure that the continuance of the gospel does continue on. I hope this morning that you'll be reminded that this is so much bigger than you and it's so much bigger than me. That this message is all about God and what He's done for this world and for your family, and for your friends, and for your relatives, and for those that you come in contact with. This morning, I I hope that we'll purpose to say, God, will you be glorified through my life and the work that you want to do with your gospel. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, let's just take a few moments, and if God's spoken to your heart, I'd encourage you to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. If God has spoken to you this morning, listen, you can come forward to an altar and you can pray there, but you can pray in your seat if you want to do that as well. But I'd encourage you, would you respond to the Lord this morning? And would you purpose, God, don't let the gospel die with me. You respond to Him.
Father, thank you for this day. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, for the power that we find in it. Thank you that it's the final authority for us. And I pray, Lord, for each of us in this room that we recognize that and we would take that wonderful truth into this world that needs it so desperately. I pray, Lord, that we would see the responsibility that's laid upon us to do just that. And I pray, Lord, that we would do it. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for those, Lord, that have been a blessing, been an encouragement to me and to so many others. I pray, God, that each of us would examine our own heart in that way as well. God, that we would seek to be a help and a blessing to others. God, you've been so good to us. So good to us. We don't deserve anything, and yet, Lord, you've given us everything. And I pray, God, that we see that, we recognize it, and God, we respond to it. Now, help us this afternoon to please you in all that we do. As we go throughout our week, I pray, God, that we bring you honor and glory with the lives that we live. And we pray all of this in your Son, Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Friend, thank you so much for being here this morning.